Hunsucker the, the second or junior. And, uh, but we call him by his middle name. His son is Morris Dean Hunsucker the third, and we call him Trey. So we didn't have Big Morris, Middle Morris, and Baby Morris, which he doesn't like the Middle Morris thing anyway, so don't call him that. Uh, but uh, uh, Dean is the executive director for Global Literature for Child Evangelism Fellowship. He'll explain what that means to you. It's a big title, and actually it's a really big job. When he got that promotion, I said, are you excited? He said, I'm, I'm so excited and terrified at the same time. And I understand that completely. Uh, so I'll have him come and let him do the most of the preaching. I'll just shut up. Uh, first off, let me thank Pastor Monty for the opportunity to come and speak. And uh, yes, my name is Dean. Uh, don't hold the last name against me. Um, and then I was told that if I'm going to speak, and uh, my father set this up for me, there's a wonderful book. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, it is a great book, and I hope you have the opportunity to, to go back and, and uh, buy one of those, read it, and hope it affects your life greatly. Um, it's a, it's a very humbling thing to be asked to speak at this church. Uh, this church has been a beacon in Indianapolis uh, my whole life, and um, it's exciting to be here uh, with the ability to share to you, with you and have Pastor Monty sitting right there. Normally I'm here because he's not, and I just happen to be traveling through, and I, I, I got a slot because of the absence of Pastor Monty. Uh, so to be able to speak with him here is uh, a unique privilege and uh, mildly overwhelming. I hope I don't say anything incorrect. I'll be the topic of next Sunday's sermon. Um, uh, if you will, go ahead and take your Bibles. Turn to Mark chapter 4. We're going to look today at finding peace in the midst of chaos. Finding peace in the midst of chaos. Uh, now, tonight as we look at this, I want to uh, clarify a few things. Number one, in this passage we see a storm. And uh, storms uh, are a great metaphor for trials, crises, pressures we face in our life. And, and I want you to see that this storm and these applications are primarily geared towards storms that come when Jesus is in the boat. See, I believe there are some storms that come for correction. There are some storms that God brings into our life to change our direction of where we're going but believe it or not, I, I also see from this passage that there are storms that can come when we are exactly where God wants us to be, in the dead center of His will, and things still don't seem to go according to plan. Amen? Amen. As we go into the holiday season, I have uh, memories in my head. I, I think of all the different holidays uh, that we've had as a family, uh, different times we've made trips around the holidays, and different traditions we might have. And as we think about memories, uh, we, we understand the value of a memory, and we understand the value of losing memories and how terrible that is. Uh, my children and I uh, have friends in northern Indiana, and their house smells like the candles that uh, they light in the house. And it's a very um, uh, sweet smell, like cookies baking, uh, maybe there's some sentiment in the air, and we can be 10 years removed from visiting their house, and just the other week, my daughter picked up a candle in a store, she picked it up, and she says, smells like the Reese's house. <laughs> and I'm thinking, she was like 
very little when we went through that house, but she remembers that smell. And some of you now, if I were to allow you to raise your hand, we won't do that, but you could say, yes, there are certain smells that remind me of a place or a time. Some of us can hear a song and be transported all the way back because of a memory. There's, there's different, um, uh, different smells that'll take you back to good memories. There's different songs that take you back to bad memories and vice versa. But the idea of memory, the idea of being able to remember is so key to staying focused. And what do you mean here? As we look at the passage, I want you to see a time when the disciples forgot. And I believe Jesus calls them out on them. And it's almost shocking to see how he does it. If we look together, we'll go in Mark chapter 4. I'll start in verse uh, 33, actually. It says, And with many parables, and with many such parables, spake he the word unto them, and they were able to hear it. But without a parable he spake not unto them, and when they were alone he expounded all things to his disciples. Verse 35, And the same day when the even was come, he said unto them, let us pass over unto the other side. And when they, had set away the, when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship, and there was also with him other little ships. And there arose a great, wind of, a great storm of wind, and the waves beat the ship so that it was now full. And he, Jesus, was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him, and they said unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? As we look at the story, it's, it's easy to see that Jesus is there. They call out to Jesus. Jesus stands up. He says, peace be still. The storm is completely calm. And we say, wow, the power of Jesus Christ. The disciples saw the power. And they truly understand now the power of, of Jesus. What a great story. But there's a phrase in here that catches my attention. Uh, you see, Jesus says unto them in verse 40, why are you so fearful? And then he uses the phrase at the end there, and he says, how is it that ye have no faith? Now, if you're thinking like me, and just put yourself in the situation, you are a sailor, you're a mariner, you're a fisherman by trade, you're not unaccustomed to being in a boat. The storm it should be a, a relatively routine thing, but this storm is special. The storm clearly came out of nowhere. It was unexpected or else they would not have been so scared. They would have said, oh, it's this big storm. We probably shouldn't be going boating right now. But the storm comes up unexpectedly. It's bigger than they anticipated because these sailors start crying out for their life. They're looking around. They see that the boat is filling up. Another uh, book of the Bible says they are in jeopardy. They feared for their life. And in that moment, when the storm was bigger than they expected, it came out of nowhere. It was completely out of their control. What did they do? They turned to Christ and kind of got scolded for it. Now, 
I'm not saying Christ is unfair. I'm saying this brings up questions in my mind as to why he would accuse them of having no faith when I would say that in faith they must have cried out to him. So now I've got to do some research. Look at what they said. They didn't say, Master, Master, can you take care of this storm? Please help us. What did they say? They said, Master, carest thou not? Don't you care? You see, they seem to equate the presence of the storm was somehow a lack of concern from their Savior. Have you found yourself in a storm like that? When pressure arises, when a storm arises, when crisis happens, and our first reaction is to then question the very character of God. As the very first thing, we, we, we don't reach out and say, please help me. We don't reach out and say, oh, we need to find a solution and get on our knees and say, I humbly submit to whatever it is. Please give me strength to make it through the storm. No, instead, the disciples forgot the very nature of God and cried out, carest thou not. They accuse him of not caring. Well, where were they just before this? In the prior chapter, in that chapter, verse 1, it says, And he began to teach them by the seaside. He's teaching the disciples sitting by the sea. He then preaches, and then in other chapters or in other books of the Bible, it says that he sat there and he taught them the parables and explained it to just them. He walked them through and interpreted the parables just for them. He had just came from healing multiple people in a ministry of healing over and over and over again in the chapters prior to this one. And then they get in a boat and they're going to the other side and something comes up that they didn't expect and the first words out of their mouth is, don't you care? That should weigh heavy on our hearts. You see, storms can cause us to see our situation through what I call crisis, um, crisis-colored glasses. And when we start to view the world through crisis-colored glasses, we start to get a warped sense of reality. A great biblical illustration of this is the children of Israel. They served for hundreds of years in Egypt, in slavery, making bricks, in the hot sun, getting beat and killed and drugged through terrible times. And then they get rescued and they're, they're finally out. And the first sign that comes up of oppression, what did they say? Oh, don't you remember the onions and the leeks? Don't you remember how good the food was in Egypt? You see what a warped sense of reality that is? Can, can you have more of a warped sense of reality that when a crisis comes, you tend to remember slavery for how good the food was? You see, some of us do that in our life. Whether it's on a job uh, that we think that uh, we need to uh, leave, God might be calling us away from a job, and we start to remember in this time of, of, of pressure, of crisis, of, and we start to remember all the good things about the job that we don't like. Or God tells us to stay and we start to create a false sense of reality about the next job we're going to take. I can't tell you, I, I've been in uh, business and I've, I've seen enough guys in, in counseling uh, that there, is, there must be something about installing satellite dishes 
Because when you get a really good job for somebody and the pressure starts to come, the first word you hear is, my buddy installs satellite dishes. Oh, well, you know, I've got this other opportunity that can pop up. And I, I've been able to make some calls and I've done some things. And, and we seem to equate the absence of pressure with the presence of peace. And that's not true. You see, I believe we can find peace in the midst of chaos. We can find peace in the midst of chaos. The absence of pressure does not mean the presence of peace. You say, what do you mean by that? Here's what I mean. You feel, uh, you feel a large pressure or conviction or motivation or a calling in your heart from God to jump into some sort of service. But it means giving up part of your Saturday, part of your Friday. It means being here on Wednesday night. It means coming in on a Monday. It means extra time commitment. It means that you're going to run from taking your kids to school, from school, taking them to practice, and then getting to church and doing the thing. And there's all kinds of pressure. But you know you should do this. And you're debating, and you're debating, and you're debating, and the pressure is coming, the pressure is coming. And you make a decision to not do the service that God's called you to do. And the instant feedback we get physically is one of relief, the lack of pressure. And mistakenly, I've heard many a Christian say, now I have peace. Can I encourage you, please do not equate the lack of pressure with the presence of peace. I know I've got a difficult decision to make. I've got a difficult conversation to have. I've got a phone call that's going to be difficult. And yet the immediate response to that pressure is to avoid it. And when we avoid it, all of a sudden, I'm not going to do that. I have this relief of the pressure. And now I claim that that's peace. No, I will say that the pressure will only be greater as it comes back around. I've dealt with, with many couples as they struggle to be together and their, their, their marriage is difficult. Oftentimes, with the absence of prayer and the absence of Holy Spirit guidance, they will then make a decision that it's easier to not be together and immediately they feel like, oh, I've got freedom. Oh, this pressure, this heartache, this struggle is now gone. No, that is not the presence of peace. That just happens to be that you've exchanged pressure for something else. Have you ever heard the phrase, choose your heart? It, the phrase comes from, uh, a lot of times you'll see it when it uh, comes to like working out. And they say that working out is hard, but then again, so is being unhealthy. So choose your heart. Christians will often do the same thing. We will see a difficult situation in front of us and instead of doing the hard thing and going through it and asking God for guidance and struggling through the storm and working through the storm, we avoid it, push it away, and instead we deal with a different kind of hard. When we're going through the storms, I'm going to ask you to do a couple things. I'm going to ask you, number one, to remember your mission. See, Jesus said we're going to go to the other side of the lake. He didn't say, we're going to go halfway, there's going to be a storm, but don't worry about it, it won't kill us, I'm going to stand up, I'm going to calm it, and then we're all going to be happy, and you're going to be amazed, and then we're going to get to the other side, and you'll be amazed, there's so much more ministry to go, and then the disciples would come, they'd see a storm, and they'd go, oh, don't worry, remember, he already told us the plan, and then we could do it, no, that's not what happened, he said, let's go to the other side of the lake, let's go. 
He then got in the boat with him. And metaphorically, I'm, I'm talking about the times where Christ is in the boat with us. We are exactly where we're supposed to be when crisis comes up, when, when pressure arises. We not only need to remember his promise, remember the mission we're on, but we need to remember his presence. I am with you. The funny thing about his presence is the Bible says he's going to stand beside us in the tempest. He's going to stand beside us in the fire. He's going to stand beside us in the waves. He's going to hold our right hand as we go through trials. Can I tell you, if he's going to hold our hand through the tempest, the waves, the fire, and the trials, it must mean that we are going through tempest, fires, waves, and trials. So many times I see us trying to construct or manipulate our lives to avoid tempest, waves, and trials, when those are the same trials and tempests that we have been called to. Do you believe that God can call you to a trial? How silly would it be if I went to the gym and I got underneath a, a, a bench press bar and I, I got my hands ready and they put the weights on it and I went to move the bar and it was hard. It was a little difficult. And I said, oh, you know what, that's too heavy. Let's take some weights off. And I tried again, and it was, you know, it wasn't as heavy, but man, you know, if we took some more weight off of this, it would probably be lighter. And we kept removing weight until it was just a bar. And I went to pick it up, and I'm like, oh, this is so difficult. I just, I, I feel this pressure. Am I going to get any stronger if I keep removing weight? No. The, the weight is what makes me stronger. The weight is how I learn to grow. I, I believe there are times when Christ says here, I, I need you to go through this because I need you to learn to lean on me. I need you to learn to trust in me. I need you to learn to rely on my presence. I need you to learn how to hold my right hand tightly as we go through the storm together. Because I've got big things in store for you. I've got more ministry for you. But so many Christians miss out on the blessing of the storm. They miss out on the presence of the Savior in the boat with them. And when the power and the pressure comes, when the crisis comes, when the problems comes, their first solution isn't to turn to the Savior in faith, asking Him to strengthen us. Our first response is instead to find a way out of the boat. To find a way to remove the weight to find a way to get out of it. And very often we do so in a very manipulative, very self-centered way. You see, in, in, uh, <laughs> in times of pressure in our life, there are those who, instead of turning to God, uh, will turn to man's devices. And, and what do I mean by that? We feel pressure at work, maybe to fit in. Instead of asking God to help us to work through that, we join them in the conversations that are not God-honoring. We use foul language. We join them in listening to their music and condoning their lifestyle. We feel the pressure from our boss coming down on us, and they're about to find out something, and, and the pressure is there, and instead of turning to God and allowing Him to, uh, to show you a way through it and to be a great testimony in it, maybe we lie. Maybe we throw somebody else under the bus. We find our own way to relieve the pressure as opposed to trusting God to allow us to be able to go through that pressure, to go through that crisis. What if the crisis is huge? Death of a loved one. 
the loss of a partner, the heartbreak of adultery. You say, wow, that got heavy real quick, Dean. Can I tell you, there's been many a Christian that will turn to alcohol, drugs, will turn away from the church in a sense of trying to remove shame, trying to remove the guilt by avoiding those that would be the greatest support in these times. And in that self-centered way of manipulating a circumstance as opposed to turning to God for help and, and, and reaching out to Him, and the most times of trial, they lose the opportunity to find peace and chaos. What if we were to instead ask God to remove the pain and just trust His plan? The steps to remove it, remembering His promises uh, are to remember the promises that we have. He, he promises us peace, does He not? He says that we're supposed to have peace that passes all understanding. Think about that. Peace that we can't understand with our mind. Peace that comes when nothing else makes sense. Do you know that peace? I've seen that peace. I remember I had a loved one uh, struggling with cancer. And in the hospital bed, I went to go visit her. And she had such peace. How can you have such peace when your health is failing so greatly? Death is knocking on the door. It's a terrible time. I'm weeping for you, and yet I look in your eyes, and I see your posture, and I hear the testimony, and what happens is in the midst of that chaos, there is peace coming back at me. Do you know that God wants to give you that same peace, not when you're dying in the bed of cancer, not when this giant crisis comes up, but when you have pressure at work? When you've got pressure with your family, when you've got a, a, a crisis coming down on you, he says, if you will allow me to take your right hand, if you will understand that I'm right here in the boat with you, will you lean on my presence and allow me to help you through this? Please reach out to me. Christian, that's not the time to run from God. That's the time to run to him. We can find peace in the midst of chaos. God never promised us a comfortable life. He never said, uh, I will give you, he says, I'll give you comfort in crisis. I will give you peace in crisis. But he never says, expect a warm and fuzzy life. As a matter of fact, he says, marvel not that the world hates you. Amen? Um, a wise man once said in uh, a point to ponder, that if the Christian life was supposed to be comfortable, God would not have had to give us a comforter. Christian, why do we keep seeking comfort in worldly ways? Why do we tend to deal with crisis by listening to Dr. Phil and Mel Robbins and other people on the radio and we're reaching out to the, all the worldly ways and God says, don't you understand, I'm right here in the boat with you. Don't turn to me and say, don't you care. Turn to me and say, I know you're there. And trust him to guide you. He also promises guidance. He says, trust in the Lord in all your ways, in, in all your heart, and lean not into your own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Can I tell you, if we're remembering promises in the midst of crisis, the thing that we also need to remember the promise is the promise of forgiveness. 
sometimes we get our eyes off the fact that we are forgiven and we allow Satan to take past failures and bring that storm of shame into our life when that shame should not be there, that sin has been paid for. We need to remember the fact that we are indeed forgiven. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If he has cleansed us from all unrighteousness, and that is under the blood and it's paid for a Christian, why do we keep grabbing that shame and putting it back on? That shame can create pressure. Satan can use that, that, that lack of understanding the forgiveness of Christ to allow us to suffer underneath the weight of sin that has already been taken care of. In that moment, will you reach out and grab his right hand and remember the forgiveness of God? He promises us comfort in the times of trouble. He's promised us love that cannot be separated. In Romans 8, he says, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Has your heart been broken before? Rely on the love of God. Do you feel alone? Rely on the love of God. I have two daughters, two teenage daughters. And uh, like most teenage girls, they, they've been through the ups and downs emotionally, I, I, I promise you. And, and believe it or not, in their life, it's not necessarily been a relationship with boys. It's relationships with some unique people they call friends. <laughs> and I tell my daughters all the time, choose your friends wisely, choose your friends wisely, choose your friends wisely. And I can remember a time, maybe a couple years ago, that my daughter had a friend group and they were extremely toxic. They put a lot of pressure on her put a lot of pressure on her to be a certain way, to act a certain way, to look a certain way, to participate in certain things. And it was very, very difficult for her to remain uh, in a good testimony uh, with them. And so she decided, I cannot be part of this friend group. And so she separated from the friend group. She just started hanging out with different people and, and spending a lot of time alone. You can imagine what happened after that. You like to be alone? I don't. And in that loneliness, what did she do? She reached back out to that same friend group. So I called my daughters in, and I said, listen, loneliness is not an excuse to allow toxic people into your life. You don't drink poison because you're thirsty. Can I, can I tell you, that's a very key point, and, it, and it's, it's part of the storms. See, there's a storm. There's something coming on. I feel lonely. I'm going to do this. And so in my loneliness, I reach back to the thing I know that is not good for me. I reach back to the shame that's already been forgiven. I reach back to, uh, to, to relationships and, and past uh, human efforts that have led me in a wrong way. But I feel like now in my crisis-colored glasses that I'm seeing reality in a wrong way. Because the pressure has got me doing things that I wouldn't normally do. And so we create a solution. Well, I'll just pick up the phone and call them back. I'll just revive an old relationship. I'll just fall back into an old habit. And for a brief moment, there's a lack of pressure. Don't be foolish enough to associate that lack of pressure with peace. 
We need to rely on his presence. Do you understand in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, he says, go. But then he also says, lo, I am with you always. How many times have we gone? Have we tried to be a witness? Have we, have we tried to be a, 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 an outreach to the community or to family or to friends? And we feel that social pressure. And when that pressure comes, we tend to turn down our witness. We tend to be more passive in our approach. Forgetting that he has promised, if you go, I will be with you always. In Psalm uh, 34, 18, it says, The Lord is nigh to them that are of broken heart. Are you of broken heart today? What kind of storm are you going through? I often wonder when I read this passage, what did Jesus want them to do? As I look at the passage, he, he, they're in the storm. They turn to him and they say, Master, carest thou not we perish? And then he takes care of the problem. But then he says, how is it that you have no faith? What did he want them to do? I would suggest to you that he would want them to remember his promise. We're going to the other side of the lake. He wants them to rely on his presence. Don't you see I'm asleep in the boat with you right here on this pillow? What would the story be like if in the midst of this story we were reading and it said, and Jesus was asleep on the pillow and the disciples remembering the promise of Christ and seeing that he was in the boat with him, trusted his presence, they lowered their shoulders and they rode into the storm. Now that's a testimony of faith. When others see you riding out the storm, when others see you trusting in his promises, when others see you relying on his presence, when others see your face set like a flint against promises, and they say, how is he doing it? How in the midst of chaos can you find such peace? You can turn to them and you can say, don't you understand? I have a God who's promised me all these things. I have a God who will hold my hand through no matter what. So bring what may. Me and God are square. I'm setting my face. I'm leaning into it. And I'm rowing harder. What's your testimony today, Christian? What storms are you facing? What promises do you need to remember? Let's pray, and Pastor Monty, if you'll come close the message. Heavenly Father, we come to you. All of us are facing some storm, Lord. All of us are facing pressure, crisis. All of us have weights that we carry. I pray, Lord, that we will not look to you out of lack of love, asking you to, uh, uh, to remove the, the weight um, simply for our own comfort, Lord, but that we will look to you and, uh, and trust your plan. I pray, Lord, that we will not manipulate situations and act in our own selfish manners to, uh, to enact a, a carnal solution, but we will trust you with a heavenly solution. In Jesus' name I pray.